Praise God. This is our story. Well, this morning for pastoral prayer, I am going to just have us reflect a little bit on the sermon that we heard last week on Hebrews chapter 4. And last week we looked at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, and how there's this Sabbath rest for the people of God. And what I wanted to do this morning is for us just to reflect on that. A lot of you uh, listened to the sermon, you read the passage, and then this week you've been thinking about what does it mean for me to truly rest in Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verses uh, 28 and 29 through 30, he says, Then Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. And all of us are looking for this rest in Jesus. Last week we talked about how there was the original rest that God, prom- that God uh, had at creation. God was satisfied in Trinity, and then he brings us into this rest in the Garden of Eden. And then we lose that rest. We broke that fellowship. And then Joshua tries to bring them into this rest, this promised land, but it never fully happens. And David declares that today, if you hear his voice... Don't harden your hearts. You can enter into that rest, and he's looking forward to this rest that we get in Jesus. So that's our prayer this morning, is this rest that we can have in Jesus today. So let's bow our heads, and uh, at first it'll be silent, and then I'll lead us into a, a, a short time of prayer. And just ask God, what would it mean, what do you need right now to find rest in Jesus today? Is it emotional rest? Is it physical rest? But most, deep, most important, that deep spiritual rest that we find in Jesus. We thank you and praise you that you didn't destroy us in the garden and you didn't leave us in the wilderness, but you bring us into the rest, not the rest. Joshua couldn't fully give them that rest, but the new Joshua, Jesus Christ, gives us the rest. I know for different people here, the rest, they just need physical rest. They need emotional rest, but all of us need this deep rest. God, I pray for all my brothers and sisters assembled here that you'd be with them today as we worship and that you just renew their souls, that they would find rest in you, rest that will carry them through the week. And I pray for those who need physical rest, that they would not seek leisure or these other forms of rest, but they would really get the physical rest they need. And for those who need emotional rest, that you'd provide that for them. And most importantly, for all of us, this deep Sabbath rest that we can only find in Jesus, God. Begin that process in us today as we hear your word preached and we continue in singing and praising you. God, bring the courts of heaven down to us. Bring your rest down to us. We thank you for this rest and we want to be a people who love the world and proclaim the kingdom of God to the world. And God, show us how to get the rest, how to dwell in the rest and bring this rest to others. There's a world out there that's just pursuing rest and they they can't find it because it's only found in jesus christ be with us today bring us into your rest help us to worship you 
and help us to dwell in that rest and, and bring others into that rest as you've offered it to us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord from Hebrews 4. You can follow along in your own Bible or on the screen. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the word of the Lord. Um, again, now I do these quick recaps at the beginning of the sermon for three reasons. One, because it's good to be reminded of what you've learned. Repetition often leads to you actually memorizing and learning. Two, it's good to see the message and the scripture in light of the context of the previous messages. You know, I want you guys to see scripture in light of scripture. I want you to see the message in context with the whole overall message of the book. And three, if this is your first time with us, you'll be caught up. So those are the three reasons I do like doing recaps at the beginning. So we're in a series in the book of Hebrews. The author started off by trying to show us that Jesus is greater. He's greater than the angels, than the prophets, greater even than the goat, Moses. He then goes on to show that this great and above Jesus came down. He was the king who came down, the champion who came down, the brother who came down, and the priest who came down. Because we now know Jesus as greater and accessible, we can now know to not turn away from him, and we can be a part of one household together. Last week, Pastor Danny spoke about the rest we have in that knowledge. The rest we have in knowing that this great and greater Jesus came down and brought us into household and unity with him. That the spiritual rest we needed is found in Jesus. Today, in the end of chapter 4, I want us to see Jesus as the great and high priest. And what that means to us. I mean, we can say that he's a high priest, but what does that actually mean? So I love how this passage here, verses 14 through 16 that Bree read for us, follows up the passage on rest. Pastor Danny spoke us about having a need for spiritual rest. Rest that comes from no longer questioning whether you are good enough or trying so hard to be good enough. Rest that comes from knowing that you aren't, but you're loved enough and grace is big enough. You see, we can know, can experience that rest because of verses 14 through 16. Because Jesus is our high priest. You know, you can see, and I've said this before, you can see the deepest and the best sleep when you look at little children. I can take my little child who fell asleep in the car, in his car seat. I can unbuckle the car seat, pick him up, carry him inside, change his clothes, and lay him down, all without him waking up. If you think about that, how crazy is that? Could you imagine if you were sleeping and somebody was like, let me pick you up. Let me change your clothes, let me put you down. You'd like, whoa. <laughs> that would never happen. You'd be waking up, you'd be like, what's going on here? You know, you'd, that would not happen for you. You could never sleep that deeply because you know this world is kind of weird. I mean, it's just reality. <laughs> you would never sleep that deep. 
But a child sleeps that deep. He can sleep like that because his rest comes from the confidence he has. He knows he is secured. He knows he's protected. He knows he's known and he knows he's loved. He experiences it. He knows no reality where that doesn't exist. I'll say that again. A child doesn't know any reality apart from knowing a reality that he's known, protected, and loved. That's why he can rest, right? And here's the deal. That rest can be ours as well. This isn't a great sleep commercial. I'm not trying to give a sleep commercial ad here or anything like that. I'm not promising to give you your insomnia or your sleep apnea or anything like that. I'm saying that knowing Jesus as your high priest gives us rest and comfort that changes everything. I'll say that again. Knowing Jesus as your high priest gives you rest and comfort that changes everything. Let's dive into the text here. I'll put it on the screen. Verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Various ancient Jewish writings speak of different levels of the heavens. Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 22, that'll be on the screen, as well as Kings 8, 27, says this. Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 22, 12, 2, talks about a third heaven. And when Solomon built the temple, he said in Kings 8, 27, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. So though different writers put it differently, the impression is that within heaven there are layers with God's own dwelling being the innermost. You can see this symbolically in the temple. When you look at the old temple, you had the dwelling of God and the holiest of holies, but then you had numerous layers surrounding it. Now, I'll tell you this, why? Because now you gotta be like, whoa, what is in the layers of heaven? What's in there? That sounds really awesome. Are there levels of heaven? No, I'm not telling you for that reason. Although if you're interested, you can read all you want on it, whatever. I'm telling you for this reason. The point is that Jesus, having died and been raised from the dead, was exalted through every layer that have conceivable of heaven, and he went to the very heart of heaven, he went to the very throne of the Father. He went to the holiest of holies. So I want you to understand that what this is talking about here in the beginning of verse 14 is Jesus is the one who ascended into the highest place. He was the one worthy of entering the place where no one is worthy to go into, he went to the Holy of the Holies, where on earth that was symbolic, but he actually went past all the heavens to enter into the very throne room of God. It says, let us hold fast our confession. The author of Hebrews is saying that Jesus knows how to get to God. He's the only one worthy of being in the presence of God. He knows how to get you to God. And the author of Hebrews is saying that Jesus didn't just symbolically go into the room that represents communion with God. He went to the very presence of God. He knows how to get you there. This will date me a little bit, but has anyone ever seen the movie Homeward Bound? Yes. Isn't that an excellent movie? <laughs> for, the, for those of you who don't know, Homeward Bound is about these three pets. And they were on the trip with their family, and the pets were left behind. And these three pets were trying to make the two dogs and a cat. And they're trying to make their way home. Michael J. Fox and Sally Field is one of the voices. I believe the movie was like 1992, something along, along those lines. And it might have made me cry once or twice. It's a beautiful movie, am I right? And there are these animals, and they're trying with everything in their power. They just wanted to go home so bad because the, the one dog in particular, the, the, I think it was a golden retriever, 
He was like, I gotta, I gotta get back to my boy. I gotta get back to my boy. And the whole time you're like, he's gotta get back to his boy. <laughs> it is a beautiful idea, but it's this beautiful film. The idea though, that like, kind of resonated with your heart is this idea that you just wanna go home. Because home is where you're loved. Home is where you're known. Home is where you're accepted. For me, this idea of home is where you can get real rest. Right? I'll be honest with you, I was um, on a conference not that long ago, and I was in the hotel room, and I thought, man, I'm going to get a whole bed to myself, because lately my son likes to crawl into the bed with us, and when he crawls into the bed with us, Gina gets the head and I get the feet. You know, always, without fail. She gets the head, and he likes to lie, like, perpendicular. He can't lie parallel with us. He wants to put his head on Gina and his feet on me every time. And I hated it, so I thought the idea of a whole bed, a king-sized bed to myself sounded just heavenly. I thought I was going to get phenomenal sleep. But it turns out, I'm aware, I'm like, ah, this is just not my bed. You know, there's not, there's not that person I can reach out and touch when I'm, you know, when I'm sleeping. It just doesn't feel right. Home is where rest is. And symbolically for me, this is what this movie symbolizes. This is the idea of, of home and rest. We all want to go home, and our home is with God. Jesus knows how to get you there. This feels a lot like this message out of John 14 that Jesus talks about. It reminds me of that. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he explained to them that he's getting ready to leave. And they're upset. They're saying, Jesus, we don't want you to go. And he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. The place I'm going, you know, and the way that I'm going, you know. And in fact, I'm actually going to go and prepare a place for you so that I can come again and take you there with me. And then this is what happens. He goes, wait a second, Jesus, I don't understand any of this. I don't know where you're going. I don't know how you're getting there. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I can get you to God is what he's saying. He's saying, I can take you home. It's like the author of Hebrews is just piling on the truth of John 14 right on top of you here. He's saying, we can know rest. We can go home because Jesus knows the way. He, he went there first. He made a way for you. He, he took the machete out and chopped down the path for you. He's preparing your room. He prepared the room by being our high priest. What do you think of when you hear the word high priest? Do you think of priests like in a Catholic church? Do you think of priests as synonymous with pastor? Do you think of someone who gets up and gives a message? Do you think of someone who hears a confession? What does it mean that Jesus is our high priest? We often confuse the idea of pastor for high priest but they're very different. In the Old Testament, they had something called a prophet. And the prophet had his back to God symbolically, speaking on his behalf to the people, kind of like what we see right here, right now, right? Is this kind of idea. But a priest, on the other hand, had their backs to the people, speaking on their behalf to God. Let me give you some more history on this. The typical high priest was a Levite who was consecrated and sanctified in an elaborate ceremony. He oversaw the entire priesthood that had many duties, but the most important one was conducting the service on the annual Day of Atonement. So what is atonement? Simply put, atonement means payment for the sin which restores our relationship with God. It's also known as the Day of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. It was a day in which sacrifices were made to pay for Israel's sin and to reconcile them to God. <clears throat> The Day of Atonement was necessary because of two opposing realities. The holiness, the justice of God, and the sinfulness of man. Though he is merciful, God is also perfectly just. 
So this debt of sin cannot be forgiven without atonement being made. This substitutionary sacrifice made during the ceremony is how God extended divine mercy without negating his divine justice. So in addition to this information we find in Hebrews, a lot of this information about what a high priest is found in Leviticus chapter 16. So if you ever just want to check it out sometime, you can go to Leviticus chapter 16. And I want us to see like, this element of the priest, what he did on the day of atonement, how it looks to Christ as the ultimate fulfillment. On this day, the high priest would change from his priestly garments to white linen robes, like the rest of the Jewish people, as a sign of repentance for sin. Inside the tabernacle and later the temple, the high priest would enter into the holy place. Here he made a sacrifice for his own sin and for the sins of his fellow priests. After this, he entered into the holy place, the holy of holies, which was separated from the rest of the place by a thick veil or a thick curtain which served as a barrier between holy God and sinful man. The high priest could only cross this barrier after having first been cleansed from his own sinfulness and only on that day, else he would die. He would die because his holy of holy contained the Ark of the Covenant. It is here in this room that God chose to dwell amongst his people. Once inside, he would sacrifice and sprinkle blood on the floor and on the Ark After entering, the high priest would then cast lots over two live goats which were brought by the people. One would be slain as an offering, the other one would be set free as a symbol of transferring their sins and complete removal of people's sins. Once these tasks were completed, the high priest would put his priestly garments back on and made a burnt offering. The sacrifices made on the Day of Atonement had been repeated year after year in order to remove the guilt of sin and to satisfy the divine justice of God. These were addition to the normal sacrifices performed in the temple day after day after day. But you see, on the ultimate day of atonement, on the ultimate Yom Kippur, Jesus sacrificed himself for the sins of his people. Where the priests had to continually make sacrifices in order to atone for their own sins and for the sins of the people, Jesus had offered one single sacrifice for all sins. This perfect sacrifice permanently satisfied divine justice and has reconciled our relationship to a holy God. Just as this system was set up to atone for sins in the ages past, God in his love and mercy has provided both a perfect high priest and a perfect sacrifice that was able to once and for all atone for the consequences of sin. We were dead in our sins and trespasses, unable to restore our relationship with God. This system was a never-ending process, which was but a shadow of the ultimate atonement that took place on the cross. Look at Hebrews 9, verses 12 through 14. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Don't miss this. Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, God the Son, sacrificed himself in order to satisfy divine justice and reconcile us to God. Only Jesus, who lived a sinless life, could serve as both the sacrifice and the one sacrificing. Only God the Son, fully man, yet fully God, could perform the role of our high priest and the role of the sacrifice. Get that. Don't miss that. So when we come to pray to our Heavenly Father, we're not shouting across a great gulf. We're not trying to catch the attention of someone who has little or no concern over us. 
N.T. Wright says this about verse 16 of Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 16 puts it like this. We are coming to the throne of grace, and we may and must come boldly and confidently. This isn't arrogance. Indeed, if we understand who Jesus is, what he's done, and what he's still doing on our behalf, the real arrogance would be to refuse to accept his offer of standing before the Father on our behalf. To imagine that we had to bypass him and to try to do it ourselves. Do you hear that? Jesus, the perfect high priest, on the day, full day, the ultimate day of atonement, sacrificed himself and now provides us a pathway, provides us an avenue, provides us with relationship with the holy God. And if we were not to take advantage of that, that is of ultimate arrogance. I like to liken it this way. I like to imagine if I was trying to have, like, say, a meeting with the president, right? If I was trying to meet with the president, I might be like, I don't know how it even started, but maybe I'll make a phone call. I, I don't even know what I would do. I'd have no, little to no chance to meet the president. Right? It just couldn't happen. Then I'm like, okay, well, let's go step lower. How about the governor of North Carolina? Still, little to no chance to meet with this governor of North Carolina. I'm going to have to get, like, maybe an issue that people cared about, a lot of people who wanted to hear about it, but still, little to no chance to meet with the governor. Mayor of Durham. Probably, once again, little to no chance. I don't know many people. I'm not very important, so little to no chance of these. And so I'm thinking about this, and I have, I might be able to meet with like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of somebody I can meet with. My wife. She de like danged herself to lowly, low herself to meet with me. I don't know. There's a gulf separating me with all these kind of political people. And there's a separation there that honestly, I don't have any ability or power of my own to overcome. Man, but how much more so? How much more so is there between me and the creator God of the universe, who's not just called a king, but is called the king of kings? How much more greater gulf is there than me, between me and this, this king of kings, lord of lords, the holy one? See, every human being on this earth, whether you're an emperor or a slave, we still have the same issues. We live, we die, we sin, we, we struggle, all that kind of stuff. But the God of gods and the creator of all, he doesn't. There's so much more separating me and him. Yet, if somebody said, Lawrence, you got the year of the president. You got the year of the mayor. You got the year of the governor. Tell them your thoughts all the time. I'd be like, yeah. Uh, you need to change this law. You need to do this. Uh, how about doing this? Hey, can you help me out with this? I'd be doing that all the time with those people. How much more so than when you have the year of the God of the universe? And it is arrogance when you do not take advantage of what Jesus has given you. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? Verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So wait a second, in verse 14, we hear that Jesus is God, that he's gone past the heavenly heavens and all the levels of heaven. He's in the very presence of God. In verse 15, it says he's without sin. At the same time, we're talking that he understands us? That doesn't make sense. God in the flesh, completely without sin, understands my weakness and my temptation? He does. Take this in. Your God knows what it's like to live in your bones. He knows what it's like. He knows your weaknesses experientially because he took on your nature. It's mind-boggling to think about, but this can be said with incredible. The one to whom you are crying out in your time of need actually understands you. He understands your weaknesses. 
What this text is not saying is that Jesus had experienced literally everything you, uh, that you have and that you will experience. He was never married, so Jesus did not experience what it's like to be married to your spouse. So if you're sitting here, Jesus doesn't know what it's like to be married to my spouse. <laughs> right? Jesus was never pregnant. So he has no idea what it's like to be pregnant. He does not. I mean, no idea. This is some scheme of things. But you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Jesus never had a baby, never had a child on earth. So experientially, he did not experience those things. But here's what he did do. Isaiah 53 and Matthew 8 says he took on our weaknesses. He came here to do that. He experienced temptations that you can't understand. Because Jesus is experiencing that no person in the world knows what it's like to experience. And that has given him a tremendous sympathy for his people. But even more than that, at the heart of every temptation is the desire to not have something that you have that you don't want. Or to have something that you don't have that you want. Does that make sense? At the heart of every sin is this desire to not have something that you have that you don't want. Or to have something that you don't have that you do want. And Satan uses that hook in every one of us to just put us in the wrong direction. And Jesus understands both of these things. Russell Moore was preaching on the Lord's Prayer. And as he was preaching, he took us to the scene of Matthew 4, where Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness. And how, remember when Jesus is being tempted, um, Jesus also says in the Sermon on the Mount, look, pray to God, he'll give you good gifts. Each of you as a father, if your child asked, asked you for a piece of bread, you wouldn't give him a stone. You'd give him a piece of bread. Why? Because you love your child. So also, your heavenly father, if you ask him for bread, he's not going to give you a stone. But here's Jesus in the wilderness, and he's being tempted, and what happens? He's standing there, there's nothing but stones around him, and Satan comes, and he says, you know, I notice there's a bunch of stones around here. I'm sure you're pretty hungry. You fasted for 40 days. Seeing how you said God, your father, would provide food, bread for you, and he hasn't, I've got a suggestion. Why don't you provide bread for you? See, Jesus, there was something that he wanted that he didn't have. And Satan was saying, you can get it apart from God. You don't need to trust your heavenly father. You don't need to trust his provision for you. You can do this yourself. Russell Moore said, you see what, here's a quote by Russell Moore up here. You see what Satan's doing. Satan is not just trying to tempt Jesus. He's trying to adopt him. He's trying to get Jesus to turn his back on his own father's provision and look to Satan. Jesus was tempted. He wanted something he didn't have. He also wanted something, he had, he also wanted something taken away that he didn't want. Remember when Jesus was in the garden and he was praying and sweating with drops of blood, praying and saying, Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me. And the answer was no. And he follows this up with, nevertheless, my will, not my will, but your will be done. The author of Hebrews is saying the one who is interceding for you gets you. He knows what it's like to live inside your weakness. He knows what it's like to inhabit your frail flesh. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He understands you. You know how you're looking for that person who gets you, even though you know they, they get you, they still like you? And you I mean, honestly, that's what I'm looking for, you know? I want that person, we all do, want that person in our life who, who gets you, who understands you, gets where you're coming from, but actually still chooses to like you. That's a tough, tough balance to hit. 
That's what we all want, and this is what we have and found in Jesus. We always talk about this. I always talk about this. The human condition is this, that we all want to be known, we all want to be loved, and we all crave purpose. But here's the problem in the human condition, is that if we're really known, can we really be loved? Because of our sin and our issues and our darkness. I know if you really knew me, most of you would be like, that guy's messed up. But here's Jesus to answer the solution. He knows you. He's been in your weakness. He sees the temptation. He gets you. The author of Hebrews is saying the one who ever lives to intercede for you, the one who, whom, to whom you lift your prayers up to, he gets you. He knows what it's like to be with you, and he has an everlasting love for you. My friends, isn't that rest? Isn't that home? Yeah, that's one of my favorite things about going home, I'll be honest with you, is that my mom... It, like, I don't care how old I get. She loves being a mom to me. And my mom, no matter how old I get, always thinks that everything I do is awesome. <laughs> you know? She's like, oh, my boy, he's so talented. He's so gifted. I'm like, yay, mom. I am. Thank you. <laughs> you know? She's like, oh, you should rest. Oh, you, you, you've worked so hard. Go lay down. Go sit down. I'm like, yeah, I am tired, mom. <laughs> I will. I love it. My mom knows me. She accepts me. She loves me. Right, Jesus is sitting here like, yeah, it's mom. Yeah. But it's so true. That's what home is. And do you guys get that? This is what rest is. Jesus is your high priest. He's experienced your weakness. He knows you. And on the day of atonement, he died for you. So that you can have rest, true spiritual rest. So you no longer have to wonder, am I good enough? Do I, can I try harder? Have I done enough? No longer do I have to worry, am I protected, am I secured, is my relationship with God right? No, you can now say, yes, it is, because of Jesus. That's rest, isn't it? That's home. We now see that Jesus is our high priest that we need. We see how he intercedes for us, so what now? In light of all this, what is our action step? And it's a very simple one I'm going to leave with you. Verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Draw near to the throne of grace. Guys, go to God. The, the gulf is gone. Jesus paid the way. You now have access to somebody more powerful than the president, than the governor, than any CEO of any company. Draw near to him. That's the action item this morning for you. That's the action step. Will you draw near to the throne of grace? There is nothing separating you from God. Grow, go to the throne of grace with confidence. Receive mercy and find grace. Go and keep on going. And this is not just this idea, oh, just pray all the time. This is not just this idea of, oh, go to church all the time. This is this reality of rest that's found, like the child finds, in knowing who he is, who's, who he belongs to. Knowing that you are secure in him. Knowing Jesus as your high priest, so the rest is found in him. Remind yourself. Because here's the deal. There's times in our lives when the world gets crazy. There are times in our lives when we get distracted and we get stressed out and bad things happen, good things happen, whatever, things happen. And in those moments, in those circumstances, we often forget that the gulf is gone and we feel separate from God. Or often in those circumstances, we forget that we're not just living life on our own power, on our own merit and our own strength. 
that we actually have a high priest who ever intercedes for us, it says in Hebrews chapter 7. We have a high priest. Get this. I want you to understand this picture here. Not, not only has Jesus ascended, not only is he our high priest, but he ever prays for us. What that literally means is he's ever with us in our interceding before God. He's ever with us. Not only does he give us direct pathway to God, he's ever saying, God, will you be the strength of our people? I kind of like it. I don't know why I like it this way, but I'll do this. It's not a, please, when I give you like comparisons, it's not a direct, exact, you know? But like... It's like this to like my mom, on my behalf, will talk to my dad. You know? Because it'd be like, oh, it's okay, Lawrence should get that toy. You know? And I'm like, yeah, mom, keep on working it. Yeah, good job. You know, that's what I think about. You know, and here's Jesus, and he's actually, dad, dad, give me a toy. They're separate, they're not one. But literally, it's this idea that anything that you go to God in, Jesus is with you. You're not going in your own power. He's operating through you. In his name, you're approaching the throne of grace. Do you get that? Will you go? For those of you who are in this room who you have no idea what home is like, you have no idea what spiritual rest is like, I pray that you go to the throne of grace. That you discover Jesus as the perfect high priest who was also the perfect sacrifice for you. And you choose to believe. And I know it's a choice. You choose to believe and you follow him. For those of you who've already professed following him, will you continue to go to the throne of grace? Because here's what amazing thing happens. As you go, something about you starts changing. The more time you spend with him at the throne of grace, you start looking more like Jesus. And it's pretty incredible. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you that Jesus, as the high priest, you went before on the Day of Atonement. And as a high priest presented our, our, our need before God, you presented the sacrifice, but it was you. You were the sacrifice. You were the perfect sacrifice. So our atonement was made secure that we can have rest in you. God, thank you that we can know what home is like now. I pray, Lord, that we continue to go forth to you, that we continue to, to bridge, as you bridge the gap for us, and we continue to seek, out, seek you out in the throne room of grace. God, may we God, be people who discover truly what spiritual rest is. In Jesus' name, amen.